Welcome to the Buick Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Sheldon Marion, and on this podcast, we dive deep into the outdoors. We discuss hunting and fishing techniques, give you tips and tricks, tell stories, and everything in between to help you enjoy the outdoors. This podcast is brought to you by Northbound Gear. Northbound Gear is designed for maneuverability and durability and is made to last through even the toughest of elements. My go-to for their pants is the Water Resistance Adventure Pants and their lined waterproof jeans. I've worn them while out ice fishing, crawling through the woods, bear hunting, and on the west coast out on the boat. And I even wear them around when I'm having a lazy day at the house. They are that comfortable. They also offer jackets, summer pants, backpacks, and many more. Men's and women's sizes are available, and by partnering with One Tree Planted, you're planting a tree with every purchase. Check them out for yourself at northboundgear.co and when you use my promo code SHELDON15 at checkout, you'll receive 15% off your order. That's northboundgear.co and promo code SHELDON15. Well everyone, welcome back to another Buick Outdoors podcast. Uh, This week we started off the week kind of a little bit slow. Uh, Me and Blaine, we headed out to one of the local springs that are out on the banks of Mobley Lake. Uh, if you want to get directions on how to get there, I made up a video of us heading out there and collecting spring water. And it's uh, it's actually a really nice, short little, I don't know, maybe five or six minute video. So if you head over to our YouTube channel, you can uh, check it out there. Uh, you know, spring water, it's one of those things where if you've never drank it before or even like a, a really clean river... Uh, you owe it to yourself to to head out there, find a nice spring, or find a a beautiful little river that has nice clean water, and just take a swig and see how good it actually is. Uh, you know, nice clean river water, it is good, but not quite as good as spring water. Uh, you know, the spring water, it uh, it forms underground from like the spring runoffs from mountains and stuff like that. And they're, they're all kind of collected in aquifers and an aquifer is like an underground lake or like an underground river. And what ends up happening is over time, the aquifer kind of puts pressure on the water and then the water finds little cracks and crevices that it, uh, kind of makes its way up to the surface of the earth kind of a deal. And then it just starts to pretty well pour out of the side of a hill or out of the side of a rock and stuff like that and uh as the water is coming up it goes through all sorts of different little mineral deposits that picks it all up but then it also goes through almost like a thousand meters of like sand filters almost kind of a thing the way the best way i can kind of describe it so when you when you get that spring water not only is it filtered like crazy uh it also picks up some of those minerals uh that it flows through so not only is it extremely clean water but it's also mineralized water and i mean the health benefits probably are pretty good for you uh i mean you wouldn't be able to take a drink of it and call it some natural supplement but it is just pure clean water like, you can't really describe the taste of water, but I'm telling you, if you go out and grab a cheap bottle of water, like the 
whatever it is, a dollar bottle of water from Costco or the local gas station. Take a swig of that stuff and then go out to a spring and taste what real water tastes like. Uh, there is no comparison whatsoever. And, uh, you know, when you're... The weird thing with water these days, too, is when you look at the packaging and stuff, you see some places they put, like, fluoride in it or they put bleach in it or it's alkaline or it's reverse osmosis. And, like, why we can't just drink just pure water is beyond me. But that's why I absolutely love spring waters and clean rivers, especially if it's a, a river that's, like, glacier-fed. Oh, man, you cannot beat that. Uh, there's quite a few rivers around here up in northern BC that we're very fortunate where kind of depending on your spring, summer, and and your uh, winter too, all the snowpack on the mountains, you know, typically around like July, sometimes August, really bad years where it's a, an extremely wet summer. Uh, sometimes it's not until September when the river is uh, nice and cleaned up. But eventually you you will get a river flowing where it's just like the water looks like a pure blue color almost. Uh, for us up here, we have the Murray River that uh, I went into a couple of years ago. Uh, also, we got like the Graham and the Halfway and the Chihuahua. And when you get to those rivers and the water is nice and crystal clear and brutally cold uh it's it's not quite as good as spring water but it is very 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 close it's uh it's hard to beat and uh on my last podcast there i talked i well i mentioned kind of like the early days of, of our trapping days and and how peaceful it was and all that and it I really started to think of uh, some of the some of the good stories of our trapping days, like uh, the one there. We there was one little trail that we always took, and it was I don't know, maybe a quarter of a mile off of our main trail, and all it was was just like an old seismic line. But it went down a little hill into just a little turnaround spot, kind of like a cul-de-sac. We had a Martin trap down there. And I believe we had a lynx set down there too, kind of kitty corner in the cul-de-sac kind of a deal. And uh, after we set it, we took off. Next weekend there, we came in and we go to check the Martin box. And you could see right at the base of the tree, there's just a little hole. It was about an inch and a half or two inch wide hole. And it almost looked like little crystals were on it. And... We were kind of scratching our head wondering, what the heck is that, hey? And I start looking, and I'm kind of, <laughs> I got my face just a couple inches from that hole, and I kind of leaned back and said, oh, crap, Dad, that's a bear den. <laughs> he starts laughing. He goes, well, I'm going to stay back here. You stand on top of the bear den, and you grab the martin box off the tree because the, the <laughs> tree that we had the martin box on, it was directly above that bear den. So I said, well, what if I fall in? He goes, ah, don't worry about it. I'll just drag you out. <laughs> but dad, he didn't want to go anywhere near that bear den. And rightfully so, I didn't want to either. But I kind of tiptoed my way around and kind of gave the tree a reach around and grabbed the trap, snapped the trap, grabbed the box. And then I think we grabbed the uh, the Lynx box out of there too. 
just because it was, you know, it was kind of off the side and whatever. We had enough uh, traps on the main drag there. So, uh, yeah, we didn't exactly have to go in there. Plus, uh, up there we usually trapped kind of the end of the season. We always started our season out in Cecil. Uh, then we had Christmas in Cecil, and then after Christmas, we pulled all of our traps, loaded them back up into the truck, and then we came up north here and uh, finished off the season on the north side. So, uh, yeah, we, we always messed around with, like, the spring weather in the north side here. So, uh, yeah, having a having a couple of traps right directly beside where a bear is going to be waking up and you're potentially going to be waking them up with your sled or walking on top of them kind of a thing, yeah, it, it might be best just not to trap in there, but anyways, that's the uh, Martin Box on a Bear Den story. <laughs> yeah, uh, one thing that always got me to do too was shovel the roof off of the cabin. You know, we, some years we get four feet of snow out here. Some years we get like a foot. It, it all kind of depends, but uh, all of our roofs, none of them were shingled. They all had tin roof on them. And, uh, depending on your pitch, the snow would kind of naturally just come off. But then other years, uh, cause the pitch of the roof was fairly, fairly low. Uh, the snow just wouldn't come off. So I'd, I'd head up to the top of the roof there with a the ladder and shovel and I'd just start shoveling it all off. But, uh, a lot of times when you get just even the slightest warm day, the the snow would kind of melt and it would kind of condense down a little bit but then all the water would run down and it would run kind of between the snow layer and the tin and it would just be like a, a glare sheet of ice and i remember that one time i was shoveling the roof off and it was about uh, every couple of minutes or i'd pretty well get one strip done and i'd slip fall come shooting off of the <laughs> the cabin roof and it would just launch me into the snowbank. And I remember uh, Dad started getting me to shovel the roof off because the one time, I believe it was him and Karen out there, my stepmom, or he might have been by himself. I, I can't quite remember, but but anyways, it happened to him where he was shoveling the roof off because it it's a job that needs to be done. But uh, what happened to him was he wasn't so lucky where when he slipped and fell, he slipped and fell and I think his pant leg or something caught on either the edge of the tin or one of the screws that was just sticking out slightly and it actually spun him around and it shot him off the roof head first <laughs> and the poor guy he went head first into the snowbank and with that wet sticky snow he was just sitting there with his feet sitting out of the <laughs> snowbank and he couldn't move he was just kind of trapped in there but eventually he kind of squirmed and wiggled and had a bit of a panic attack and uh got himself out but uh yeah after that no more roofs were being shoveled until there was at least two people there and the other person had a shuffle because <laughs> man could you imagine that it's like uh it's like dying in a mini avalanche but on the side of your cabin boy that would that would suck <laughs> Yeah, and then, uh, you know, during the early days of our trapping, too, out in Cecil, we we didn't start out with a nice cabin or nice sleds or anything like that. Uh, on the one little cut line, you walk in there, I think it was ah, maybe about a mile, 
And then up on top of the one little hill, there was just an old Atco trailer that came with the trap line. And that was the uh, quote-unquote cabin. And that thing, it was... Uh, it was in pretty rough shape when we when we bought the place, and it stayed in rough shape. Uh, it was just an old Atco trailer that they gutted out. And they built a a roof and then kind of like a deck on it, but everything was slowly starting to rot away. So when we got the tramp line, that was one of the first things that we had to uh, kind of save up for was a new cabin. But in the meantime, we have a tramp line, so we're gonna trap and uh almost well yeah pretty well every single time we'd go in there we'd light a fire in the in the stove get it nice and warmed up and then we'd make our trips back and forth to the truck to bring in all of our gear and equipment and all that good stuff but uh usually right around supper time is when the walls would start to warm up and when the walls would warm up every single little nook cranny crack a spot where a nail popped out or whatever all the flies that were kind of hibernating inside the wall and in the roof and floors and stuff they would all start to kind of thaw out and wake up and if you've ever had that it's one of the it's pretty cool but it's kind of disgusting at the same time because all of a sudden you're sitting there and there's like a hundred flies everywhere like it is absolutely insane but it's kind of cool at the same time. So, uh, yeah, we uh, we always always fought with the flies when we first warmed the place up. And then you'd walk around with the fly swatter and newspaper or whatever. And you'd just beat the crap out of all these flies that are just kind of unthawing and waking up. And <laughs> trying to get them away from your plate of food. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was fairly rough conditions. That old Atco trailer too, when we first got it, uh, I want to say there was some, there's bunk beds in it, I think, and they were, mm, they were a little iffy, but then the place was just full of mice too, so we had to clean out all the mice. Uh, we set traps in there. We, man, we could have made a killing on mice fur. I'm sure if you could uh, skin them and send them to market. There's so many mice in there. But we ended up eventually ripping out all those, uh, all the bunk beds. And on the back wall, we just made one great big wide giant, uh, bed. And we put foamies on there and, and our sleeping bags and stuff. And it, it wasn't too, too bad. Uh, it was pretty rough beginnings, but, uh, we made it work. And then also with the old Atco trailer, you know, the, yeah, you know, the windows kind of leaked, the door kind of leaked. So even... Even on warm days, there was still always that little constant breeze kind of coming through there. And on the really cold days, you definitely felt that you didn't uh, you didn't let that fire die out very much. Otherwise, uh, yeah, you'd wake up and you'd be pretty, pretty cold. And then in the springtime, uh, the bears were famous for getting into that cabin. And, I mean, like, we had a little hinge lock that we could put on it but man bears are so smart they kind of looked at that thing and it it's like you just dug one finger in there and went pop and just pulled all the screws off of it and they go inside and they get your foamies they'd get your jerry cans aerosol cans coffee hot chocolate anything that was in any kind of a container they just had to rip it open 
and all these kind of laptic guys when they uh when they beat bears and stuff you know they got all these beavers and fruit loops and popcorn molasses maple syrup burns and all that stuff and i just kind of laugh and i kind of somewhat joke about it i said why are you wasting all your money on this just grab a jerry can put it where you're wanting to beat your bears and you'll get bears in there because there's something about jerry cans that bears just cannot say no to the amount of stuff that we have lost to bears is astronomical and jerry cans are at the very very peak top of the list like <laughs> for some reason they just absolutely love plastic and styrofoam we've lost seats to the snowmobiles and seats to quads and then yeah jerry cans definitely are at the top though there's no better bear bait than jerry can <laughs> but yeah it didn't take us too too long to uh to decide to build another cabin out there and uh instead of at the top of the hill which came about three quarters way back to the road and there was a nice little clearing there in the spruce and all that stuff so we uh we cut all the little i don't know whatever you want to call it the small little spring trees down and we flattened it out somewhat and we put up our uh cement blocks built our floor joists built the foundation up on it built the floor roofs walls and all that and then uh we insulated the crap out of it and we made sure that thing was nice and airtight. It was warm, comfortable. Uh, we kind of built the same bed that we made in the old Atco shack. Except we didn't make it across the whole back wall. Because this trailer, or the, the Atco trailer was like a, I don't know, a 12 by, I don't even know, 12 by 30 maybe kind of a thing. And uh, the new cabin was i want to say it was 12 by 14 i think when you're building a cabin out in the woods uh for a trap line uh there's certain there's a certain square footage that you're allowed and i can't remember what it is if it's 12 by 14 or 14 by 16 i, I i'm not too sure i'd have to look that up but uh but anyways we made it so it was the max size that you could do and then uh so then for our bed we made it where it was about three quarters of the way of the back wall kind of a thing and then that way we have a little walkway just on the side there and that's where we had our shower and even the shower it was just an old uh plastic barrel that we cut i don't know maybe 18 inches up and then we took tubing and we just made a big circle of tubing hung that off the wall and put a shower curtain around there and then just those uh kind of like those bladder bags we use that and just put hot water in there and that was our shower and it worked pretty good but uh yeah when we built that new cabin uh i want to say 95 percent of it was all made with just hand tools uh i want to say like except for maybe the plywood was cut with a circular saw but everything else was all hand saws, hammers, nails. And, uh, man, you know, it was, it was quite the experience building cabins like that. It, uh, it's, it's pretty funny, pretty fun, pretty nice. Uh, it's a, it's a nice little learning curve too. When you're out 
actually building something by hand. Uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, makes it pretty tough too. And then I want to say that the majority of the wood, uh, we might have had the ranger at the time, but I don't know. Because I know when we first came out through the trail in there, on a dry year, you could drive in there, but if there was any moisture whatsoever, there was ruts all over the place, especially the first little dip in the ditch coming off the road. So I, I don't know if we drove the majority of stuff in there or if we had to pack it. I know we had to pack the plywood in and the tin in, and that was several trips back and forth to the truck, and then you'd pretty well grab two sheets of plywood, put it on your back, start hiking walk into the cabin site and uh did the same thing with the tin except with the tin we had to be real careful that uh the wind wasn't blowing and you were wearing gloves because with those big sheets of tin they're fairly light but with that when the wind blows if it catches it it'll just launch it and then that thing it's just like a knife flying through the air so you gotta be pretty careful when you're packing in the old tin but yeah we uh that took us I can't remember how long it took us to build that. I think we built that over the course of like spring, summer, and fall kind of a thing. And then it was ready for the winter minus an outhouse. We didn't have an outhouse for uh, for quite a while. And what we used to do is we just kind of dig a hole, do your business, and then kind of bury it. But uh, one of our dogs there, Maxine, she loved to find it, dig it up, and roll in it. And... Uh, so what we ended up having to do was we'd go out outside the door, go around to the back side of the cabin, and we always had stacks of newspapers. So you'd grab a newspaper, put it on the ground, squat, do your business on the newspaper, pick it up, <laughs> put it into a bag, tie it off, and then we'd tie that up kind of on a nail <laughs> in like one giant uh, plastic bag or a garbage bag. And then that way the dog would stop rolling in it because when you're out in the winter time, uh, you don't exactly have a little dog wash out at the cabin. So you'd pretty well roll her in snow and comb her out and spray her with something, you know, like wasn't too fun some days. <laughs> but it was always kind of a running joke when, uh, kind of what you're going to do your business on. I'd be thumbing through and I'd see a car ad and be like, ah, oh, that's a Chevy one. I don't like, I don't want to do that. And you see like whatever the Dodge dealership. Perfect. Going outside. <laughs> Nothing against Dodges, but uh, I dropped some bombs on them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was always fun. Back in the day too, uh, we started out with some, uh, some not so ideal snowmobiles. Uh, one was a 440 Polaris, called that the Red Rocket, and that one, I think back in the day when that thing first came out, it was meant to be kind of like a racing sled kind of a thing, and it went like snot, but, uh, when you got two adults and two kids, you, uh, you need to double on every snowmobile and on the old 440 it was it was almost impossible to double on that thing because the the seat was narrow short 
And I think Dad and Karen mostly doubled on that one because Karen's a pretty small little lady. And then uh, Dad eventually bought a uh, old Safari, and that one didn't last too long. Uh, a couple of trips, and the motor blew on it. That was yeah, that wasn't too fun. Me and Blaine were doubling on that one, and Dad and Karen were going up the road, and there's a little bit of a hill. And at the end of that road, there's a little pump jack and all that stuff where we'd get back onto the trail. And if we hang a left, we go into the creek, hang a right, and it would bring us back up to the other hill where it connected to our uh, our other line. But anyways, Dad and Karen went up and over the hill, and me and Blaine were driving. Blaine was on the back, and I'm just butting along, and all of a sudden, the thing just went boom. <laughs> The track locked up. We went right sideways, almost ditched us off. And pretty soon we're sitting there and waiting and waiting and waiting. And, well, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes later, I hear another sled coming down. And Dad turned around and came back. And he's wondering what we're doing. And rightfully so, he was a little bit ticked off and irritated and wondering what the heck we were doing, driving like a pair of idiots. And, to this day, man, I <laughs> I swear, the one time I wasn't driving like an idiot, I was just going normal, and that thing blew up. But yeah, I said I don't know what happened. It it just it stopped and track locked up, and so Dad grabbed the old pull start and he goes to give her a pull, and nope, she's done. End up just pulling the sled backwards and went, oh no. And at the time, we didn't have any money whatsoever. Uh, I'm pretty sure Dad's life savings went into buying that trap line, and that was it. The truck that we had was like a 92 or 93 Chevy three-quarter ton, two-wheel drive, ran on propane, and it had two gas tanks, but you can only use one because the other one had a hole in it. <laughs> and just an old steel sled deck that was just heavier than hell. And the heater didn't work in the old truck. <laughs> <laughs> so to give you an idea of our our uh, upbringing with the with the old trap lines and stuff you know it wasn't all new sled new truck right off the hop it was a struggle and uh i don't even remember how in the heck we end up getting that back onto the truck i know somebody came and helped us but I don't remember if we got onto the truck or if we had to get somebody's trailer and borrow it. But I remember having to pretty well pick up the back end. And I think me and the guy that showed up, the operator in the area, I'm pretty sure, and Blaine, maybe picked up the back. And then Dad was on the ski. Dad would pull, we would push, and we eventually got it up onto the sled deck. And yeah, that one, I don't know if he gave it away or just threw that hunk of junk in the garbage or what the heck happened but uh yeah the old safari didn't last overly too long uh i think after that safari though we end up getting like an old well probably a 1992 players 440 black and gray and white thing and that one actually had a two up touring seat kind of a deal so that was nice uh well it was nice for an old sled anyways and that one, it stuck around for quite a while until Dad finally was able to uh, save up some money and he bought uh, 
I can't remember if they were brand new or if they were all used. But I want to say they were like a 2005 Players 550. He bought the blue and white one. And that was just the cat's ass when we got that. And then after that one, I think it was the same year. Like, oh, I maybe mean, that was a 2004. Then he ended up buying the 2005 black and white 550. And that one there. I don't know if the clutching was a little bit different or what, but man, I could ride the snot out of that thing. Pretty well broke trail with that, and man, that thing had some get up and go, especially for a little 550 fan. But uh, yeah, yeah, the old days of uh, starting out on the old Cecil line, you know, it, uh, lots of good memories out there, and every once in a while too, during the fall, I still like to drive out there and just kind of cruise the roads and do some chicken hunting listen to the coyote howl and all that good stuff you know there's uh there's a lot of good memories out there kind of like uh you know heading up the highway to where uh our old kind of stomping grounds for when we used to do our kind of annual family hunting trip uh one story that comes to mind out there was when uh uncle joe was out hunting there and <laughs> He comes back to camp and he has a great big smile on his face and he's laughing and grinning and we're all wondering, well, Uncle Joe must have got a moose and he gets out and he goes, oh boys, <laughs> seen a nice little bull moose out there and I got out and I don't know how he's managed to be able to stop his truck in time and then get out and find all of his bullets. He was, uh, he drove pretty recklessly <laughs> on the back roads. <laughs> he liked to drive fast and hard kind of a thing. He said he got out, he seen a bull moose, and he threw some shells in his gun, and he shot and shot and shot, and he said he missed every single time. <laughs> he goes, I missed every shot, but boy, did I have fun shooting. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, Uncle Joe, when was the last time you sighted in your gun? Like, how off is that thing? And you can you can already picture it where it's the kind of the head tilt, eye squint, scratch your head, and go, well, you know, back in uh, you know this year, and th there was that rock out in the field, and I shot at that, and I hit the rock, so I figured it was good, and it was just like, oh my god! So a couple of years ago, you shot a rock in your field that was probably a boulder, and now you <laughs> shot five or six times at a moose, and you didn't even touch a hair on him, and oh boy. Yeah, but he sure had fun shooting at it. <laughs> but Uncle Joe there, he's always a character. Uh, even when we took him out on... Uh, well, I don't think we took him. I think... Ah, uh, who's he with there? I can't remember. He joined us on the ocean there the one time there anyways. And he hooked into a, a pretty good-sized halibut. It wasn't like a 150 or 200-pounder. It was like a 60-pound halibut kind of a thing. But uh, when you're fighting them, like, they have some weight to them, and they do pull pretty good. And, uh, yeah, if you are if you don't have your rod in, like, a rod holder and you just crank on it, like, it is pretty tiring on your arms, especially for uh, for an older feller kind of a thing. So he ended up taking the fishing rod, and he jammed it between his legs, and he just <laughs> started reeling. And I don't know if you ever seen how, uh, how, how a halibut, pulls line out but it's never just a a smooth motion it's not like a salmon where it just goes and gone you know they kind of i don't know what it is that they do maybe because of the way that their body is shaped but when you're pulling 
pulling up a halibut, when they pull back on you, it's a lot of like real hard tugs. And with that rod tucked in between his legs, every time the halibut would tug, that rod would come up and just pack him between the legs. And the crazy thing was, is by the time he got that fish up to the boat, the fish was actually off the hook. But the the halibut, it wrapped itself around the line somehow. And it the line, it, it was hooked. But then somehow the line got wrapped around like his his gill plate and kind of looped his tail. And um, it was just a tangled up mess. And then the the hooks itself, it popped out of his mouth and it was over here off to the side. But he, <laughs> he still managed to get the fish up and we hooked it with the gaff and brought it on. And he was just hooting and hollering and he got so excited. There's like tears running down his face and great big smile then the next day he goes he comes out and as we're getting ready to go he goes boys you should see my crotch (laughs) i guess (laughs) i guess like a 10 inch circle around his crotch is just one giant bruise so ever since then you know it's like well we we kind of learned a lesson from old uncle joe don't put the rod between your legs when you're reeling in a halibut otherwise <laughs> you're gonna have one heck of a good bruise and a and a fun little story to tell <laughs> but anyways guys uh i'm just waiting for shelby to get off work here she's on her way home and i think we're gonna head out here and see if we can get into some trouble out in the woods today so i appreciate you listening to this podcast I appreciate you watching it. Again, uh, if you're watching it and you want to listen to it, we're available on all major podcast platforms. And if you're just listening to this and you want to watch the video version, uh, just head over to our YouTube channel called Buick Outdoors. There's a podcast playlist. I'm working on some podcast clips right now and also some podcast shorts and all that good stuff. I'm trying to vamp this up a little bit. But anyways, guys, yeah, make sure you check out the YouTube channel. Uh, Subscribe to it if you like what you see. And uh, maybe leave us a comment or two on some of the videos. But anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed that. I know I had fun here bringing back some old memories. And uh, yeah, catch you on the next one.